0: Your customer's data privacy is important, but so is personalization. Learn how to balance both so you can optimize your ad performance and scalability with Adobe and Meta. Adobe's real-time customer data platform collects and aggregates customer data across channels, helping you build actionable, unified customer profiles. Meta Conversions API creates a direct connection between your marketing data and marketing systems. This helps you better measure results and improve your ad targeting within Meta Technologies. Find out more at unlockmarketingdata.com. Increase conversion rates and create privacy-safe targeted ads. Adobe and Meta give you the tools to future-proof your data strategy to go beyond third-party cookies. Visit unlockmarketingdata.com to get started. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Tech Magic for episode two. I am your host, Kathy Hackle. I am a tech and gaming executive at a company called Journey. I'm also a tech futurist and I'm always traveling the globe doing something fun. Um, today I'm joined by my co-host my guest co-host Lee keebler Lee how are you
1: I'm great yeah uh, we had a great week last week and uh, I'm just glad to be back again I think this will be a lot of fun um, so you're you're on my coast right now I mean I'm not in California I'm in Oregon but what are you doing on the west coast over here you're you're normally the, the East Coast girl right <laughs>
0: I am. I'm New York, D.C., like always East Coast, but I've been coming to the West Coast quite often. I'm actually in Laguna Beach right now at the Montage Hotel, which is stunning. Um, And I'm actually here for the Wall Street Journal Tech Live conference Yeah, it's been been just super fun. We had uh, Roblox's CEO, David Basuki, on stage, uh, then Palmer Lucky. We can talk about some of that. Later tonight, after you and I finish recording, because we're recording on Monday, uh, there's going to be John Legend and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it's crazy. There's like Sam Altman tomorrow. I mean, yeah, this is one of those conferences where it's... It is like this amazing group of people together. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I will say I'm a little jet lagged. I'm a little tired because um, I spent the weekend... At an amazing resort called the Salamander Resort in the D.C. area. It is owned by Sheila Johnson. So if people don't know who she is, but she's, a, you know, anyone that's listening might not know who she is, but most people might. She is America's first black woman billionaire, one of the founders of BET. And now she runs the, the biggest black owned hospitality uh, luxury resorts. Um, I was there. I, I love the Salamander Resorts. Uh, highly recommend. And I was there actually for a fashion show because, you know, fashion's my thing, Lee.
1: It has to be because it's not my thing. Like I, am <laughs> so out of. That.
0: You're very stylish though. Sometimes,
1: I, I yeah, <laughs> sometimes. I wear I wear the nicest hoodies. Yeah, that's.
0: <laughs> there no. you go. There you go. Well, actually, I actually heard you were picking up your glasses today. So, and I can't see you because we're not doing video. But I hope that they're like you know you're making a statement with your glasses or something.
1: It's the typical like developer clear rim thick glasses. Like There's nothing at all. Fa- I will say this, though. I did. This has nothing to do with fashion. It has to do with glasses. But I placed an order for those um, corrective lenses for the Quest 3. Uh, so when those get in, I'm super excited to see what high-definition VR actually <laughs>
0: looks like. Well, I think everyone's on, i see all the videos of people unboxing their Meta Quest 3s. Like mine's still in the box because I just haven't been home, um, oh, but it's I can't amazing. wait to get my hands on it. Yeah. It's you, yeah. Incra- you've been yeah, playing I've with got it. it so. Yeah.
1: I've been playing with it and I'll tell you, it's, <laughs> there's a pack in game for it that kind of explains Meta's vision of augmented reality and gaming. And I've been on the fence about how like AR and gaming was going to play out. I played this game and I was just like, it's so dang fun that I get it. I totally get what they're going to go for now. It's it's a blast.
0: Well, we're going to be talking about wearables for sure during this episode. Um, but anyway, I do want to give a shout out to my friend Anifa who is an amazing designer. She actually went viral during the pandemic. I'm not sure if you remember this. There was a fashion show during the pandemic that just had the 3D models of the designs walking down the runway. That was her. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Her, her, her fashion line is called Hanifa brilliant brilliant black designer um and and she she just launched a bridal line and i don't know it was amazing i was invited to be front row which is so exciting a lot of like amazing a-listers were there for the launch of her bridal line which has nothing to do with tech but you know tech is my my passion and anifa does have that you know technology kind of roots i will make a comment and i think this is interesting she finished the fashion show coming out on the runway carrying her little baby. And literally, she was crying. The baby was crying. We were all <laughs> crying. Um, it was just a lovely moment of, I think, you know, for a lot of us women in creative industries, women in tech. It was just a beautiful moment of, wow, you know, you you can accomplish so much. Uh, we can't have it all necessarily all the time. But, yeah, it was a lovely, lovely moment. So, big shout That's out to, awesome. to um, yeah, to Anifa and her creative genius. Uh, but, anyway, let's get into the show. Um, I want to start talking – about something that I've seen kind of go viral. I've seen it everywhere from Adobe Max. So Adobe hosts Mm. a creative conference called Adobe Max every year. It's actually my favorite Adobe conference. It's just tons of creatives coming together, usually in LA. uh, And they have all the announcements. Um, They also have something called the Adobe Sneaks. And this is where they kind of pull in different teams that have been working on R&D projects. And they introduce something called Project Primrose, uh, which it was a beautiful, beautiful use of technology on fabric and dresses. But I don't know. Do you want to fill people in a little bit on on kind of what they, what they launched, Lee? I'm going to let yeah. you talk about dresses now.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I it. have so many fashion questions after seeing this video because it is like all over LinkedIn. It's all over social media. Um, it seems to be uh, some type of low, uh, like a, a low voltage charged material it's not even a material it's like a it's like a flat bendable flexible Mm -hmm. polymer of some sort that allows things to be either reflective or kind of like you know that security glass that you see in really fancy uh offices where they can make it just snapped to uh to like yeah. frosted it's something along the lines of that everything i've read didn't go into deep detail on how or what it was but they basically made these into uh made this dress out of these pieces that were checkered um throughout uh and they were layered like scales you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah. and it was interesting because the like you could see, you could do patterns and, and movement uh, across the dress.
0: Yeah. And it was, it was really interesting to watch the reaction, you know, usually at Adobe sneaks, when they introduce some of these projects, some of them get oohs and ahs. but this was amazing to me. I wasn't there in person, but hearing everyone like oohing and awing, it was like, it made um, kind of an impact. And she was moving uh, like the person that was Christine who was presenting the dress. She's the one that worked on it um, with a team, you know, she would move and it would change and, you know, it just, Imagine the creative opportunities that something like this brings to fashion, right? I do want to you know, caveat this it. with Lee. Oh yeah, you saw it. Go ahead. I no,
1: I didn't see it in person, but I saw I saw it used in a different way that I thought made actually mm-hmm. more sense. It was it was woven into a purse, a bag, a handbag. Mm-hmm. And that looked really cool. Um like I could see I that one made sense. The dress, I don't know if the dress worked for me. <sighs>
0: Visually, I think the dress was like making the statement. I think people could relate to the dress more than the purse. Um, So maybe on stage, it made sense, right? I'm a functional guy. I'm like,
1: sit down. (laughs) I dare you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that dress is not made for – yeah, that dress is not made for the runway in that sense. Um, But, but, you know, I thought it was beautiful. I do want to caveat this with people – understanding something with adobe sneaks usually it's projects that are in r&d it doesn't mean everything makes it as a product mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: right so like this mic because they got so many oohs and ahs but
1: we'll see may you know i feel like i remember seeing something very similar to this a couple of years ago it was not as uh detailed it was like they were longer bands and it was more of an e-ink thing that was woven into a dress I don't know if that was Adobe or not I'm just thinking of it off the top of my head um and so it's interesting to kind of see these iterations where people are trying to figure out how to to do something more creative uh along this lines I do wonder of like how does it it once that gets worked into clothing and wearables how that content gets updated is it wireless are you subjected to be hacked and then all of a sudden you have like oh, crazy no. <laughs> messages scrolling across your body like all of those things is where my Ooh. brain goes
0: yeah it's yeah that that could get pretty crazy pretty quickly imagine yeah things could, people could display on your dress um yeah uh i you know what if. Yeah, what if your dress gets hacked and you know something inappropriate or who knows like i don't i don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole but um i will say it's not the first time that, like fashion has done something like this i think the the key component here was that it was responding to her but also that it works with generative ai so like they mm-hmm. talked about how it could work with adobe firefly which i, I was an alpha user and, um, you know, kind of I love that part because it's starting to, you know, to integrate that. And we are going to be talking about AI wearables, but more so wearables that you might wear uh, on your face or maybe on your clothing. So not your clothing being uh, the the wearable. But I, I do love the direction it's going into. I wonder if we're going to see some of it next February during Fashion Month. Um, we'll have to see what happens. It's a it, You got a lot of oohs and ahs and, um, and we'll see. I do have to say something. Jasna Rock uh, who is a Belgian um, creative technologist uh, she's been doing things with fabric that's similar that responds to people's emotions. So I do want to give a shout out to her because she's one of those people that has been doing you know things with this te- not, not with the specific technology but along those types of things where you know the fabric responds to to someone's movement and everything so um, yeah I can't wait to see you in one in, the, in a primrose shirt.
1: Uh, you know if they if they do if they do a jacket, I could do that. <laughs> like if like a big jacket that you can you can do something on the back. I'm I'm down for that. Um, I, I did notice that as soon as these you know reposts on LinkedIn started happening of this content, there were immediately marketing people chiming in of like, oh, you could put brands and you could turn that into a billboard. I'm just oh my gosh, uh, this <laughs> is this is gonna be a whole weird new future of it. I was like, if you do that, you're basically recreating the sandwich board signs from back in the day. (laughs) I don't know if we need to go that far.
0: Yeah. I was thinking more of like creative, what you could do with it. Not so much like what brands can put on it. Right. That's Um, exactly where LinkedIn
1: goes though. Every time.
0: Uh, Yeah. There there are some, I mean, I love LinkedIn, but there are some times where it's just like, okay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, Talking about a lot of different things, I I sent you an article from The Guardian over the weekend, and it was about the state of gaming. It talked about how, you know, gaming is doing great in some ways, uh, but not so much for the people creating the games. And it was talking about how long it takes to create a AAA game. Uh, Like, you and I are part of this industry, so we know that it takes a long time. But I don't think that most people – most people don't really understand that it can take – you know, even up to five to six years to Mm -hmm. create one of these games and then launch it. But what are your thoughts? I mean, because obviously we're friends with a lot of gamers. It's a really, you know, it's an exciting time in gaming, but it's also a stressful time in gaming with all the layoffs and, you know, people not getting recruited as fast. So what are your thoughts? Because I sent you that article and and I know it was uh, impactful.
1: Yeah, I read through it and... to back up a little bit, my weekend was actually spent at a conference that was completely different from yours and not nearly as star-studded. Um, but I was at uh, the, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. I'm a big video game collector, uh, and, and it was all about like old video games. And I sat through a couple of talks with some of the like, original developers from Atari and things like that. And they were talking about how long it would take them to make a game. And back then, you know, it would take them five months to eight months. Um, And they were from beginning to end the game. They did the artwork. It was just one developer. They developed the game. They developed the artwork. They would do all of that, you know, in one sitting. Uh, And when the game was done, it had one author. Um, We're obviously not there. We've come so far. And now you've got these massive teams and it's like taking on putting together a, a, a movie or a Netflix miniseries, you know, um, it's it takes hundreds of thousands and thousands of people sometimes, uh, even when you start getting into some of these like larger titles where they've got to go global. Um, but the indie game development world has also taken a big bite out of how um the massive uh, players, the big publishers had once had a, a stranglehold. Indie developers have released some of the biggest and better games out there. So we, we kind of see this way direction of it being pulled back in the other uh, other way. And we're finding a nice balance, but that has caused a lot of, mm-hmm. like you said, the layoffs have been pretty rough this year, yeah. um, and it takes a long time to make these games. And quite frankly, from my personal opinion, a lot of these games, what's being invested to them, don't have the, the are, are not even necessary, right? We're starting to get into this realm of like, how long can a game be, right? Okay, you pay mm-hmm. $60, $70 for a brand new video game, and there are people who don't want that game to end, or they want it to be like 80 hours, that's tough, right? That's um, a lot. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's a lot of
0: work for those developers.
1: But if you think about it, let's look at it from an economic standpoint. If you sell a video game to somebody and it's a massively long game and they envelop their life into that game, what other games are they not buying? Mm-hmm.
0: That's because
1: <laughs> they're spending all of their time going back to that game for the course of years, right? Um, and, and so I think that there does need to be a balance. There's, there's a criticism of the latest, um, uh, title for Assassin's Creed, which is this massive, popular, very longstanding, uh, brand. And they actually have a VR game coming out uh, later this year too, which I'm excited to see because the, but the criticism is that the game's only 12 hours long and I'm like, well, that's great. That means all of the boring (laughs) crap in that game doesn't have to exist. Right. Um, there, there's always those tedious moments in these longer games where you're just like, oh my gosh, get through it. So I don't know. I think maybe it'll call out a, a little bit um, if we can start getting, seeing these games go into shorter, yeah. not only shorter playtimes, but smaller groups of people developing it. It shouldn't take mm-hmm. an army to, to build some of these things. Um, but in that, we are seeing those layoffs come through and budgets yeah. are changing and Obviously, I've got a lot of friends in this industry myself, uh, and that's hard to see. And and
0: my worry is, Lee, that with generative AI, like some of these things are going to get, you know, some of these development cycles might get shortened or teams might get smaller, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But then you've got a lot of great developers that might be left out of a job, like maybe not quick, not too, not, not immediately, but I I do worry of that. Cause when you think about the state of gaming, like gaming as an industry, and I think most people listening to this understand that it's a massive industry, right? It's bigger than what is it? Hollywood and music combined. Mm, Um, so the state of gaming is something that, that you and I are going to come back to this on a constant basis, especially, you know, for anyone in the brand and marketing side to learn a little bit more about that. Um, because it's such a massive, a massive industry and Um, and yeah, like so much of that is is interesting right
1: now. So much of your, your, the trade itself is transferable skills. Right. Um, and so I, I don't, I'm not too worried about that. I think that maybe we do get to a place where not everyone works in gaming, or maybe we get to a place where, okay, you were let go of one project and now, you can focus on that project that you've had in your folder for, you know, the last 3 years that never got released and that ends up being a massive hit because we are in a place where an indie developer by themselves even can still have a massive hit. Stardew Valley is a fantastic example of a a single person going out, starting a game and then like making a massive hit. I think uh super meat boy was another one. Those were two people that went <laughs> out and made a massive hit. So it's, it, it is interesting to see the kind of the, the white knuckle clinch of um, the industry taking a bit of a turn. But my hope is if people are able to see the positive light in it and see the opportunity in it, that they'll take it we'll get even better content.
0: Yeah. Another thing is like when these cycles take so long, right, to create a game, it's like one of them is like it took six years, right? Not all of them, but some of them take a very long time. With culture, I feel like culture now, especially with Gen Z and some Gen Alpha, like it happens so fast. Like it happens on TikTok and like what's trendy today might not be trendy over the weekend. So that worries me, right? When you're creating these games and taking so long, like when, they come to, when it comes yeah. to marketing them, when it comes to bringing them to market, like I know gamers like certain things, um, you know, there's a quality to the NPCs and there's certain game mechanics and stuff. But my worry is that because the cycles are so quick with culture and what's trendy that, you know, there it might take five years to create a game. And then when you launch it, it doesn't go well.
1: Well, I would argue that if your game goes out of style in five years. You never had a good game. You just had a trend. Valid point. Because good games, really good games stick around. I mean, Tetris is a great example of a mm-hmm. really good game. We we've yeah, Tetris has been around since the early eighties and we in what 2021, I think we got Tetris effect equally amazing game. And you know what? A couple of years from now, there'll be another Tetris branded game um, mm-hmm. because the, core to what that game mechanic is 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 brilliant um one of the things that i do see popping up and i've seen it in a couple of articles is we don't need any more first person multiplayer shooter games like they're all the same Mm -hmm. Um, and if that's what you're out building you better have a real good change in the the creativity or the mechanic or something unique to it because if it's not unique it's getting tired and and hey maybe that's a that's probably a good thing uh you know what this this is what Nintendo does so well is they find formulas that work very well and they keep them fresh and we're going to see it at the end of this month when the new Mario game comes out because it's another it's a 2D platformer just like the original Mario brothers yeah but it's completely fresh I'm gonna buy it. Everyone else who's a Nintendo or Mario fan <laughs> is gonna buy gonna it. Everyone's gonna
0: buy it. And, and so
1: <laughs> when when I hear people say, "Oh, you know, five five years from now this game might not be a hit," I don't think you had a hit, buddy. Um, mm-hmm. you, you had a trend. Those are those are two different things.
0: Yeah, and and I think the magic there, what you're mentioning, like with Mario, is you know the IP people recognize it. There's nostalgia, but like my kids love it too, and like Mario, like they want to go to amusement parks. They want to engage with the IP in so many different ways, right? Um, So it is about the gameplay, but it's also the IP, right? So Can we
1: just take a moment and realize how absolutely (laughs) ridiculous it is that how popular Mario is when it's basically a stereotyped Italian plumber who was created in Japan? Like, what a (laughs) wild world we live in. If you would have told someone back in like the mid-70s that one of the biggest brand IPs that would like squash Mickey Mouse was an Italian plumber... (laughs) I don't. I just don't think it would have made sense.
0: It sounds like an episode of like a an unmade Back to the Future movie. It's just something um, weird, yeah.
1: right? Like that.
0: Just it's like what, what Mickey what Mouse.
1: A it works Italian though.
0: Plumber. Yeah, it works. <laughs> I mean, I love it. You know, let's go. Let's go. Um, <laughs> talking about uh, gaming, uh, we you know um, we <laughs> we heard the news that Arm and Hammer. Has entered the gaming space, uh, and you have some interesting comments about it. I have not visited kind of what they're what they're doing right now, so I'm going to kind of rely on you to kind of uh, give your, I want your take on this. On this
1: though, because because I, I don't I don't have I don't have any kids that play video games, um, and mm-hmm. you have a couple kids who've played Roblox, right? Um, yeah. So last week we talked about how weird it was that Shell was getting into the Shell gas. Um, was getting into Fortnite to make a Fortnite creative world. And that seemed a little weird. Um, And so I think, I had a couple of people send me this link about Arm & Hammer is now in Live-Topia on Roblox, uh, which for those who don't know, Live-Topia is actually one world that does bring brands in and lets them like experiment and play inside of Roblox without it being like their own official world. And I, I had some people send that link to me thinking that I was going to be on the same bandwagon and I'm, I'm totally not. I love this. I think it's fantastic. So we're
0: getting goodly. We're getting yeah, you're nicely. Getting,
1: you're getting super supportively uh, because it was so well thought out. Like, and it goes back to the the like early moments in my child. Children are early early exposed to Arm and Hammer baking soda of all things because we all did like science experiments with it, right?
0: So true. Yeah, my kids actually. <laughs> it's a good point. We always have Arm and Hammer baking soda because you never know where, when they're going to need it for anything. Yeah, you so mix no. that mm-hmm.
1: with vinegar and you have a, a volcano, and you learn about science. And it's just been like decades of that science experiment done over and over again at like age six or seven. And that's what they're doing in Live-topia, right? Like that's what they're doing in Roblox is they're, they're talking about the science behind what Arm & Hammer baking soda does. And they have that experiment to kind of show uh what baking soda and vinegar would do and it leads the kid to like actually want to go do that experiment if they hadn't you know thought of it before so it's just another outlet for for kids to learn about science and yes it's branded but in this particular case i was like thinking about it like well who else would be better to talk about this type of like science than than our am i'm totally on board i think it's a good use case
0: i love it I love it. And actually, like, now that you mentioned that, like, I could see, like, a kid that might have not done, like, not have done the experiment. My kids who have done it, like, they're probably be like, hey, mom, can we do it again? Yeah. Right. So obviously, win win. Like, that's a fantastic example.
1: I'm, I'm a big proponent for STEM education. And I know this doesn't really like completely fall in STEM education, but it sure is a gateway to to it in, in a way. I just think I think it's it's cute. It's adorable. It's in a good location. Um, I think Roblox is the right spot to get the conversation started. So it, it gets a thumbs up for me
0: fantastic um, I do want to mention very briefly uh, that the news last week about Microsoft completing the acquisition of Activision Blizzard huge news in the gaming space as well um, I think you know a lot of people were holding their breaths earlier in the year when things were not looking that great for that you know that acquisition but it, it went through so quick thoughts on that
1: I mean it makes them the third largest video game company in the world mm-hmm. it was a 69 billion dollar acquisition. Uh, I think it's good for them. Um, and we'll see what they do. I mean, that's always, that's always <laughs> the hardest thing, right? You, you, when you buy something like that, I'm a long time Activision fan from mm-hmm. like, I mean, they, they, they were the first third party video game publisher. I don't think most people know that like they, they were a hand full of developers that were part of Atari and they got mad for not getting their credit at Atari. And so they up and quit and they went and started Activision and then they made the best Atari games on the planet and then they never stopped. So mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of the originals of the third party publisher. <laughs> and and I think a lot of video game success as an art and medium is owed to them. Um, but whenever yeah. these transitions happen, you just have to kind of wait and see. And that's where I'm at.
0: Wow. Well. Well, I, I do think it's like it shows how big business, like gaming is big business. Like, oh, totally. Um, yeah, massive business. Like uh, there was a, an interesting article, maybe we can include it in the show notes about, you know, is Disney becoming a gaming company? We can definitely go down that route next time. But um, I think for now, I do want to mention something related to Activision Blizzard. They put out some reports, some data on gamer moms, which I am one of those gamer moms um, and it talked about gamer moms being a fantastic audience and how a big percentage of moms are gamers, especially you know millennial moms that are Gen alpha moms like myself. really interesting data there that I think for anyone in, in brand or marketing right. or anyone really that's interested in technology a really interesting read on the data that they have. So the, um, and that's yeah. the thing
1: the stereotypical gamer is done, right like it's it's every it's everybody. Right. Um, yeah. And this acquisition will will prove to to grow. I had to quickly look this up because I was curious when you were talking about the impact of like, oh, it's its own medium. To put it in perspective, this was a sixty nine billion dollar deal. Disney acquired Lucas Films for Star Wars for four billion dollars. So I mean, like, it yeah. dwarfs most media acquisitions when it comes yeah, to stuff like that.
0: Massive difference. Oh, my goodness. So, well, on that note, we're going to go to break, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, some things that we talked about related to voice AI prints and using voice and AI and uh, some latest news. Then we'll talk about we wearable AI. We predicted the future. We predicted the future. I'm <laughs> Marty McFly. All right. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back.
2: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend.
0: All right. So, since we predicted the futurely, <laughs> we talked about, yeah, you know, Robin Williams and uh, his voice being cloned um and his daughter, you know, making some uh, some comments about it. We talked about how AI is being used um in you know in, in Hollywood and, and related to voice prints and everything that's there. Everything the, the some things positive, some things, you know, <laughs> quite scary and negative, but uh, you actually sent me a story, right? Because we're, you know, I send you stories. You sent me stories um, about the mayor of New York um, related to using AI, and actually, in, in a positive way. So maybe yeah. you can share a little bit about that story.
1: Well, it's, this is like super fresh off the uh, press, too. This is coming from Politico. Uh, there was an article that was written about Mayor Adda, uh, Eric Adams from New York, and in the, the initial question is, Mayor Eric Adams doesn't speak Spanish, or does he? question mark. Um so Mayor Adams has been leveraging AI uh for his political robocalls um so that he can put his message into Mandarin or Spanish or other like major languages that are used inside of the districts that he's he's targeting for for his political calls that every politician does and has to do. Uh, it's really quite interesting to see it kind of come from the direction that we had talked about last week, where we were looking at all of the negative, and I then I said, Well, what if that meant that doing like I said, uh, we were talking about books, I think we we're talking about audiobooks, yeah. but you could do audiobooks. localization on those audiobooks in different languages and still have the same speaker or localization from movies, because we were talking about Robin Williams being the genie, and then mm. all of a sudden he the the Spanish dub would no longer be a dub. It would be Robin Williams doing the, the, the genie character in Spanish because it would be an AI of his voice. And this is exactly what uh, Mayor Adams is doing in New York. And I find it so interesting. He, there's a quote in this article where he says people are stopping me on the street all the time and saying, I didn't know you spoke Mandarin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine getting a call like, hola, soy el alcalde Eric Adams. And you're like, uh, what? That's yeah. That would be really interesting. Or getting it in Hindi or whatever, whatever language, right? Or Portuguese.
1: It's it's very interesting, know. and of course, it would f- first really take root in politics. Um, uh, yeah. But I can see the value of that. It it does help people get a message to. People who typically would miss out on a lot of that, that messaging or conversation, um, hopefully it could also help increase voter participation and encourage voter participation, things like that. Uh, and I think that it's fantastic. It's very interesting to see this um, roll out. And by and large, it seems to be positive. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So don't be surprised if you get a call <laughs> for your local state officials asking you to vote for them or something in whichever language you prefer to speak at home. So that'll be that'll be quite interesting. Um, all right. So we are going to talk about AI, uh, not not so much from the politics side, but more on the wearable side. So obviously we talked to Pro- about Project Primrose, this dress at Adobe Sneaks, doing Adobe Max. Um There's also like this moment, right? What I'm calling like the race towards these new wearables, this post-smartphone future. And um, Humane obviously made news. Humane's a startup uh, out of Silicon Valley created by two um, amazing uh, former Apple executives who left to create uh, the future wearable that, you know, whatever replaces in their perspective the mobile phone. And uh, they've said that the future is not on our faces. They don't think that the Apple Vision Pro is... Uh, is kind of the future. Um, they are looking more at uh, an AI wearable. In this case, it's called the AI Pin from Humane. Um, it made its debut on um, on the runway during Fashion Month, and you know had like Naomi Campbell, a famous supermodel, wearing it. In several other models wearing it during the Capri Fashion Show, uh, a lot of talk about it. I don't. I don't think they demoed it. Um, they just wore it, right, as a wearable. Uh, but there's this moment, right, where we're talking about wearable AI. So not so much the dress, uh, but more of like a device, whether it's something that we pin to our clothes or eventually, you know, the glasses, uh, there's talks about open AI, uh, talking to Johnny Ive about creating a, an AI wearable. Uh, there's also the rewind, uh, rewind pendant. It's a, a little pendant, uh, that uses AI and sticks on your clothes and you wear it all day and it records everything. Um, so Lee, what do you think about the rewind pendant and also like your views on wearable AI? Cause it's it's about to get heated. Like, I feel like we're heading into this like clash of visions of what is that future spatial computing device, you know, slash AI wearable that we might wear.
1: Oh gosh. I don't know. Um, this, this comes up over and over and over again. And I would actually, if someone, if someone like a client were to call me and ask me that question, do you know what my answer would be? What would you say? Okay, I'm going to give you the number to Kathy Hackle. You need to call her and have this conversation because I know nothing about wearable AI fashion. Um,
0: (laughs) Great answer because I spend a ridiculous amount of time I'm thinking about AI wearables or spatial computing wearables as well. And uh, yeah, I even have like our producer, Lily and I, we actually, and this is like, we did not plan this, but um, Lily and I actually wrote uh, A Wearable World, which is like a little mini book. It's a free resource uh, for anyone that was interested in reading about, you know, the future of spatial computing and AI wearables. So yeah, thanks for thir- <laughs> thanks for that. But how do you feel, how do you feel about a a device that you would wear every day that records everything you say that you can turn to and say, Hey, what did my wife ask me to do? Or, you know, what did Um, I send during this phone call?
1: You know, I would love to be that dystopian hating. This is the introduction to (laughs) cyberpunk, um, you know, negative guy in the room. But the truth is I feel like we're past it. It's just taking a different form factor because the fact of the matter is, is I've, I I always have my cell phone on me. It's always sitting on a desk and you can tell me it's not like listening to what I'm saying. But when I start seeing those Amazon ads pop up, like we all know something's fishy. Um, No, Uh, it's, (laughs) it's, I don't on paper. It looks so intrusive, but in actual practicality, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not completely against it. As long as you know what's going on, I think it's fair um i think it's when you don't know what's going on when it comes out you know two years later of like what you accidentally participated in so it's it's going to be about transparency at the end of the day i think i think it's going to usher in a big debate for new laws but we'll see how that goes
0: i think we should have a whole episode on the future post smartphone future like what what these wearables become, um, you know, I obviously, like I mentioned, I spent a lot of time thinking about them, also from the fashion sense, because uh, there's obviously people are like, well, never wear these. I'm like, oh, you just wait.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you just
0: wait. You just wait. I mean, there's there a reason why Ray Ban
1: is working with Meta. Um, I was having this conversation yesterday with someone who worked on Google Glass, actually um Mm -hmm. and they were lamenting that you know google glass did it first and and i was like yeah of course they did but they didn't do it with with ray-band and the google Glass made you look ridiculous and that's uh, the technology which was far above its time i mean that was 2013 was super impressive and it was expensive and it kind of made things look made you externally look weird and that was the thing that i always pointed out and i said until they put it in some fashionable glasses this isn't going to fly and I know so many people who have bought the Ray-Bans from Meta after this launch um, yeah. because they're Ray-Bans and they're about the price of a pair of Ray-Bans with all of the extra goodies mm-hmm. and features. Not not quite to the full like blown AI, but we're one step away from that, right? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, we're one step away from that Ray Ban moment. I've called it the Ray Ban moment for a long time, and I do have to say something about the Google Glass because it always stunned me. Like the marketing pictures, where all these these guys, these white guys, wearing them. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh! Like, no. And and I feel like with the Ray Bans, it's not only Ray Ban; it's Luxottica, right? Which is a giant fashion, yeah. um, you know, conglomerate. So um, there's going to be a lot of other things that are going to come out, not just Ray Bans, right? So I, I think there is going to be this. This kind of wearable AI, wearable, you know, device moment that we're going to go through.
1: So from a a futurist perspective, what do you Mm -hmm. think is, because I don't have an answer here, um, what do you think is the prime form factor in a wearable? Is it a watch? Is it a pendant? Is it glasses? Because not everyone wears glasses. You don't want to wear glasses inside. If you don't wear glasses, right, and they're sunglasses, you don't wear them, Inside, You know what I mean? Unless you're like, cool. So what's what's yeah. the right form factor here?
0: The answer to that is like, no one really knows, right? Even if you're a futurist, you're not saying this is going to happen. You're saying these are the potential things that can happen. I have a feeling that the, the consumer is eventually going to decide, right? So- you know, many people in Silicon Valley, and I was there last week, uh, believe that it is, you know, a device that goes on your face, right? For many different reasons, right? Because it's, it's able to see the world and you see, you know, see all this context through your eyes and, and everything. But it could be something completely different, right? It could be something like what Humane's proposing, or it might be a combination. At the end of the day, I feel like a lot of these devices, whether it is, you know, a, a pin or whether it's glasses, like eventually it'll all kind of coincided to one device but we still need to look at you know how things develop you know everything from supply chain and optics and battery and all these sorts of things so like my money my money is not on specific type of wearable i do think it's a wearable it's something that we're going to wear on ourselves um did you- that definitely that's what the, the the signals are pointing towards did
1: you see the uh, did you see any episodes of the tv show upload on amazon to comedy. <laughs>
0: yes, I did. I was actually an advisor and uh, I did a, a whole Ask a Futurist series with them. Um, so know it very well.
1: <laughs> I uh, So there are moments of that show that I think are prolific. And then there are moments of that show that I think are absolutely insane. Um, but the thing that I really liked, and this is such a weird detail, is that their wearable is just a ring. Um, and mm-hmm. that ring holds all of your data. It's basically a thumb drive, but it also pulls biometrics. And in as I thought more about it, that seemed to make the most sense to me as I watched that show. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be interesting if we ever can get to something of that small of a form factor, though, or if that is truly science fiction.
0: We'll have to see. I mean, there's already, already the Oura Ring that I think a lot of people use, but obviously it's not that advanced. and. Um, we still have to see, right? I, I once we get multimodal on like the Ray-Ban meta glasses, I I don't know. We're about to go into a really interesting period, but we should have a whole episode, I think, I about agree. that. Um and you mentioned my futurist opinion. I, I wanna mention before we go into our, our expert expert interview, um, a post that I saw this week on LinkedIn uh, from Amy Webb. So many people listening to this Probably know Amy Webb. Um, she is an amazing futurist. She's the, the CEO of the Future Today Institute. Uh, I think she's in um, Sydney right now at South by Southwest Sydney, the launch of that event. Um, she does an amazing, you know, trends uh, trends report every year. In a sold, like it's not sold out, right? But it's like a packed South by Southwest session every year. But she wrote something. On LinkedIn, I'm going to read this to you because it really spoke to me. And I think it's important to mention um, here. She said, for those of you who are editors or who work on the copy desk, futurist is not a made up job title. The copy desk should not add self-titled or so-called before futurist. There is no need to put futurist in quotes. And futurist is in quotes in in her post. If you change the job title of futurist to something else, just as technology forecaster or technology commentator. That materially misrepresents what we do, just as changing journalist to stenographer (laughs) or thought influencer materially misinterprets what you do. Uh, And then she talks about how, you know, this is a field, which is called strategic foresight, which many of us are trained in. I was able to train at the University of Houston. Uh, You know, she herself um, studied game uh, economics. It says... Uh, as many of us anchor our work in quantitative quantitative modeling in my case, I spent four years in college studying economics and game theory. Um, she's done amazing work. she's really a quantitative futurist like I describe myself more as a tech futurist um, but it says here also um, our job isn't only giving keynote speeches though we sometimes oh, she said our job isn't giving keynote speeches though we sometimes speak in order to share our research publicly. most of our work is sitting at desks meticulously researching, modeling and running simulations. It would be fantastic if you'd all use the correct title when citing or quoting us. Many thanks. Um, so I have to echo what Amy said. I think this was a very powerful post. I've had that happen to a million times where it's like so-called this or like self-titled. And I'm like, that's happened to me many times, right? And and oh, I yeah. think it's important for people to listen, listening to this, understand that there is a discipline, it's called strategic foresight. There are PhDs, These are master's programs. University of Houston has been teaching this for a long time. Um, there's, uh, professional associations like the Association Professional uh, Professional Futurists. Um, there's the Global Futures, um, you know, program as well. So I want people to understand that, like, this is not a made-up title. Like a lot of us train in many different ways on on futurism um, and strategic foresight. But yeah, like that really spoke to me.
1: Yeah, and and I think a lot of that comes from. Well, can I be honest? Um,
0: be honest, yeah. This is what this is what the show that comes
1: I think a lot of it comes from like LinkedIn, um, when people just aren't sure what to put in their Mm. bios. And I see it, I see those terms and others misused, right? Like code ninja, like, oh my god, please, I never want to see that again. Um, You know, but it was one of those things where everyone was putting this title and it's like, no, there are legitimately people who have studied this. This is a very real title. And it was, I feel like it was originally coined from, and this is me just currently scraping the back of my own brain here. I, I feel like the first I'd heard of this was through Raker Ray Kurzweil. Um, mm-hmm. And that was when I first came across the term. And I would dare anyone to call Ray Kurzweil uh, a self-titled futurist to his own face. I just don't think that's going to go very well for <laughs> you if you do. <laughs> that, yeah, you know, no. um like th- there are people who study this and go through the predictive analytics of figuring out what comes next by mm-hmm. logic and it deserves an incredible amount of respect. It is also one of those reasons why I don't use futurist in my uh mm-hmm in my work title that's not actually what I do I will help and can be a part of of analytics and and I'll do you know session predictions on areas that I'm an expert in but I don't I don't use that term um so
0: I feel like it's so misunderstood right it's such a misunderstood kind of career path and um and you know I'm all for people using the word futurist I just I think when the media uses it and like says like puts it in quotes or like doesn't it acknowledge that it's an actual career. Like it makes me upset just like Amy. And I have to mention like Amy to me, Amy Webb is kind of like my North star futurist. I think she's an amazing Brilliant thinker. Um, She's very, very. uh, You know, she works. She works with these methods. She's like she said. She's a quantitative futurist. So she does a lot of this modeling and and everything. Um, I I describe myself more as a tech futurist. I'm, you know, not so much in in the in the the modeling, but I am thinking through you know simulations, but on a different um, in a different way and scenario planning. So yeah, so I love that. So I do want to kind of um, head into, you know, into our next break. And when we get back from that, uh, we're gonna have an interview with Faith Popcorn, who is one of the original futurists, like she's an icon Um, she has been uh, she you know she has been doing strategic foresight and futures for a very very long time working with many different brands you'll hear that in the interview she's got some really interesting perspectives Um, you know one of the things that I'm going to ask her about this is uh, she was mentioned by name during one of the episodes in succession (laughs)
2: oh wow
0: Um, I know so pop a pop culture icon, but uh, she has been doing, you know, uh, she has been a futurist for a very long time and she's become a good friend of mine, a brilliant, brilliant person. So uh, we're going to go to break and when we get back, you're going to hear the interview with Faith and then we'll come back. Lee, Lee, you and I will wrap up with a, uh, a, you know, a concept that you and I have been thinking about for a future episode. So let's go to break and we'll hear from Faith right after that.
2: So now I'm joined
0: by someone that I've admired for a very long time. Someone's become a, a good dear friend of mine. Um, the amazing, I mean, you pretty much do not need an introduction, but the amazing Faith Popcorn is here with us. Faith, thanks for joining Tech Magic. Nice to see you, Kathy. <laughs> nice to see you too. I, I love chatting with you. I always have a great time. Me too.
2: Me too. I love it.
0: Yeah. And Most people know who you are, of course, but, you know, there might be some people tuning into the podcast that, you know, Mm -hmm. don't know who you are or first time they come across. Can you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you've done and why you're such an icon?
2: Oh, well, um, I'm a futurist, which really means a Sherpa for change. And I've had Faith Popcorn's brain reserve for almost five decades now. And we have worked for most of the Fortune 200. And what we do for them is help them see ahead so they don't walk into the potholes of the future. That's a simple explanation. So we'll say, you know, this is going to be uh, outlawed, you know, like sugar, or this is where artificial intelligence is going to play. And this is where you're not prepared and where you have to change your strategy, invent a new product, a new brand, uh, just change your direction uh, to be in the winds of the future.
0: Yeah. And there's an example you always use about telling one of your clients about bottled water before it was a thing. Can you tell a little bit about that story? Sure. Because I, I think it's fantastic.
2: And that's getting even more. It's so interesting how it you know, can spin. But <clears throat> we went to uh, Pepsi and Coca-Cola very early in the 80s. And we said the water sources are drying up. Water is going to be the next big commodity. And you need to bottle water. And they said, um, well, first of all, Coke said, well, then they People would know there's water and Coke, that kind of CEO logic. And um, and Pepsi wasn't ready. And they it, it didn't I, – I don't think they caught up for about eight years. And then, you know, you know what happened is billions and billions of dollars. Same way when we went to Nike and said, you don't have a women's division. And now I think that's about $9 billion. We helped create that. We went to Kodak and said – or they came to us. You know, film is over, really. It's going to be digital And they said, but we wanted to make film, and how do we make film, and how do we get people to buy film? So it's just like people saying now, do I have to think about artificial intelligence? I mean, I don't think I want to think about that. No, I'm not going to think about that. I'm just—it's just like I I, was—I was doing a big talk up in the down up whatever in the Coswolds, to the big, enormous media company, and they're still talking about the screen, which we know will disappear going to be in the air it's going to be in your brain so that's what i mean getting big titanics you know the titanic would have missed the iceberg by eight degrees that's all eight just a little just bit. just a little bit yeah a little bit
0: uh, well you talked about ai and how you know incredibly important it is to actually take it seriously um everyone's talking about it right Everyone's talking mm-hmm. about it. The reality is we're in a bit of a nascent period. I mean, they've been AI has been worked on for a long time, but it's it's still mm-hmm. early days, let's say. What are some of the roles that you you think AI is going to play in the future that no one is thinking about?
2: Well, here's the first thing that one is thinking about. There are four oligarchs. Um, Andreessen, Thiel, Zuckerberg, and Musk. And they are defining your future, yours, everybody's, and telling you how you're going to exist in the future. So one is interested in virtual worlds. Musk wants to go to Mars, and he did Neuralink, which is a very disturbing piece of the future. Actually, we could talk about that. Um, Teal Web 3, Human Enhancement, Life Extension to 100. So, you know, that's, that's a bit scary. So your question was...
0: Yeah. What are some of the roles that you think AI will play in the future that no one is thinking about?
2: AI will be able to do far more than it's doing right now. It's going to be able to make a product, market a product, actually manufacture it and distribute it and measure it, the success or not. I mean, it's going to be a better spouse than you ever had in your life. It's going to be uh, your best dog that can talk to you is going to be your uh, your house that's totally responsive to you. Yes, and people just are saying like, "Oh, I don't know," you know. I don't, and you know the common thing with business now is when you tell this to heads of companies, they go, "You know, I'll be retired by then. I'll be out of here." So <laughs> nobody's <laughs> paying attention <laughs> to it. <laughs> right. yeah, exactly.
0: Mm, yeah. And that's interesting cuz I actually wrote something in Forbes back in 2020 called Marketing to Robots or the concept of business to robot to consumer like we're going to have to go through yeah. that bot and it yes. reminded me of what you just said. So
2: Yeah, that's instead of B2B it's B2R. r mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, business to robot so to consumer.
2: So a great insight actually. Yeah. As usual, Kathy.
0: <laughs> I'll send you the link to the articles actually.
2: Okay, good. It's really
0: good. Um you mentioned your link, right? Um there's been Articles um, about some of the things that have been happening at Neuralink. You know, what do you think it's going to take culturally (laughs) for people to adopt Neuralink esque technology? And by Neuralink, we mean that, you know, brain computer interface implant that actually goes inside the brain. There's others that go that are external, but what do you think it's going to take? I mean, it's pretty, I don't know.
2: One, let's talk about how horrible the situation was for all the monkeys in the lab. It was so inhuman. They died horrible deaths in this experimentation. And it could have and I talked to a lot of veterinarians, it could have been a lot easier on them. So he that was very bad. He didn't do that well. Terrible. And then because bad deeds maybe get rewarded, he just got FDA approval to implant Neuralink in human trials. And a lot of people don't realize this. And then they go, What? What? What this is what's happening. He's saying that it's going to cure blindness, spinal you know, problems, everything internal. I'm saying that he's going to read your mind and he's going to know what your thinking is and be able to influence it. And a woman named Nita Farahani wrote a wonderful book, uh, Battle for Your Brain. I had her on my podcast, Joltee. And she said, it's the last bastion of privacy and intimacy is your brain. And he's in there. So that's what I think about neuraling.
0: That's really interesting. You bring up her book because I read it and it's, it's really interesting. She talks about, I think it was cognitive rights, um, mm-hmm. about cognitive rights yeah. and who has, who has the right to influence, you know, what you're thinking or what's happening to your brain. Um, and that's been, you know, I think just a very valuable, it's a great book, right?
2: Um, i got great reviews, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think it was a popular book, but it's very simply written. And um, she is the warning bell of, you know, what's coming. Uh, once your brain is invaded, people are going to be able to put advertising messages into your brain. I just saw a movie like that at the in, uh, Hampton Film Festival, International Film Festival. Already, these, you know, the creatives are, creatives are a very good way to foresee what's going to happen, you know, and that's what's happening. So it's not too good.
0: No, it's pretty scary. I, I will tell you this. So I've demoed a lot of the external brain computer interface devices that the ones that are, you know, I do not want to get something implanted. Um,
2: mm-hmm. And
0: there's an observation whenever I've used those is that my brain actually really likes using them. And how do you know, I can feel that light, like even just thinking about it, something lights up, like it's like a brain, it's like an a workout for your brain, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing, right? Because it could lead to addiction. It could lead to like something like I need to be plugged into the system or something. Um, so so that that's always stayed with me. Like, why does, why, do my, why does my brain like it so much? And is this a good thing or a bad thing? So, yeah, I think once we go into like brain-computer interfaces, special implants, I think we're getting into territory that can turn very negative very quickly.
2: And the idea that there's going to be a screen, I mean – He's talking about, Elon's talking about the interface between brain and computer. You don't need a screen. You just go, I want to see Kathy. Think it. And it's there. So that's, it is. It's scary. And the trains left the station. You know, they say, oh, they'll still, I love humans. They're so adorable. They say, oh, they'll still need humans to fix these things. No, they won't. They're already fixing each other. And they're already in- increasing their intelligence by talking to each other and you know humans will be dispensable for sure unless they're uploaded with chips like i need 40 points on my iq kind of thing and we've been talking about that since the popcorn report 1990 shipping
0: that's actually my other question is like the idea of uploading it's not chipping but it's further right but the the idea of upload uploading your consciousness right it's it was featured in Black Mirror. There's a whole Amazon Prime series called Upload. You know, there's also the song from Grimes, "I Want to Be Software." Yeah. What are your thoughts on on ever this being a possibility one day?
2: For sure, it's the end of death. I mean, I think Grimes, or now she calls herself C italicized, that's her name, and it means speed of light. And you know, she's suing Elon for parental rights right now. So, anyway, I think she's a great futurist, uh, and you're gonna as you decide to leave life, you know, maybe your body catches up with you, your bad habits, you're gonna be uploaded to a computer. This is very, you know, troublesome for kids that think they're gonna inherit a lot of money because there will be the brain managing everything in a really annoying way, just talking from my kid's point of view. And it's not going to be the classic hand-me-down, you know, everything, because you're gonna still be there. And you're gonna be learning. And you're gonna be up to date. So that's about uploading consciousness. That's so interesting. Um,
0: so, what we're talking about is like potential things that are gonna, you know, happen or you know are already starting to happen. But in this world, right, it's increasingly starting to get shaped by AI and and obviously other technologies. What becomes real? Like, what is real when we head into this future?
2: It's mushy. I mean, you see kids, watch kids, and I know you do. I know you study children too. How they go back and forth so fluidly. They're, you know, I'll ask my kid a question. I talked to so-and-so. They don't mean they talked to her. They mean they texted her or mm-hmm. him. So it's like this. They can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But there's a lot of preference to to living in the world of, and I know you're an mm-hmm. expert on this, metaverse, gaming it's a nicer world. And as this world becomes more contradictory, more difficult, more haves and have nots, more unfair, more, more everything. And we go on like a kind of new social income where our jobs are eliminated and we get paid by the government, let's say, um, you're going to want to spend a lot more time in a prettier place, not in real life.
0: Mm-hmm. Not in the physical world, right? Cause it's no. not, uh, Yeah. Like I still, I'm still hopeful. I think maybe (laughs) like I need to remain hopeful in some ways that we're going to solve climate change and some of the issues, but you know, it's pretty, pretty scary when I think about it long-term.
2: We might solve it by going to Mars. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you, you trash this planet. There aren't going to be any big fish. The water is like the big plastic islands in the ocean. None of the people that make the plastic want to take responsibility for them and clean them up. They could be cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So we were so lazy. We'd just go somewhere else. It's like what they did to Staten Island around here, you know, they made a garbage dump, but the other couple of boroughs are okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and what do you think about that? Cause that's an interesting point There, I do hear a lot of people, especially in Silicon Valley. Uh, I was just there um, talking about AI almost as a savior, right? Everything is going to get better because of AI. We're going to cure cancer. We're going to live longer, Um, we're going to solve climate change and I need to remain hopeful, but sometimes I'm like, how much of this is really going to happen and how much is it just people trying to push AI as a technology? What are your thoughts? Is it, is it in the meat? Is is the truth in the middle? Like, what, what do you think?
2: I think it's calming the masses. And I think that people that will be able to afford the uploads to make themselves smarter or stronger. You know, like these, you know, like these things that factory workers are starting to echo skeletons mm-hmm. to where to be stronger, mm-hmm. it's gonna be on the inside, you know, making us stronger mentally, physically, making us more beautiful, whatever it is we want. But that's the they still gonna be, you know. I mean, I, I said one hopeful thing, which is rarity for me, but I said there'll be scholar chips mm-hmm. for the have nots. We'll give out, you know, some chips, but it's it's and everybody says whatever's wrong. Science will fix that, you know? I mean, we're about to blow our world up right this second with, you know, what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in the Ukraine, what's happening in Taiwan and, and China and Russia, you know. It's not, it's not cool. No,
0: it's, in all your time as a futurist, like, is this one of those times that you think there's an inflection point?
2: When we'll look back and go, oh, remember when the Middle East had different countries, but now it's just one big rubble? that mm-hmm. yeah um it seems that less and less the the beauty of being human uh, is fading because we're all little scientists right and we're just like so fascinated with all the you know book, you know computers and gaming and we and the beauty of spending time or meditating or getting your act together a little bit or compassion or kindness or all this stuff. I, I see it fading. I think this could be the era where it it faded.
0: And when it fades, does what replaces it? I remember listening to you a couple of years ago, probably during the pandemic and you were doing a talk and you talked about anger. It was before, before things got really heated. And it was interesting to hear your perception on that. And I I could sense it too. I was like, something's, something's going to give, like, this is, there's some, there was something brewing, you could feel it. And you said, it's going to lead into anger. So do you think that is, is this type of anger that we're living through? Like, I don't know. Like, is it going to
2: continue? Well, I mentioned to you, you know, I, I, everybody thought I had this newsletter called the Popcorn Report. I didn't, so I thought I would better do it. I mean, for years, oh, I read the pop; is It's so great. I go, I don't have one. I don't have a bullet. But anyway, I'm on issue two, and this issue that's dropping next week is on paranoia. And this happens right, I think, before explosive anger. And we're starting to think, what are the pharma companies up to? Why don't mm-hmm. they let natural stuff in? What are the food companies into? Why are they making stuff that's so unhealthy for us? What happens this is kind of fascinating. So you know the those um, also for the haves, Man, Manjaro, Manjaro mm-hmm. and Mozambique mm-hmm. and Wigobi. So you take a little shot. And if you don't have insurance, it's quite expensive. And um, you don't want to eat and you get thin. And if you notice, Oprah's thin. Everybody got thin. If you looked at the last Academy Awards, everybody says that that is what? Okay. Now, as that becomes more available to people, example, this is how we go down that road of the future, far future, everybody can get it because it becomes a pill and and insurance does cover it because obesity leads to so many hospital bills, right? Okay, well, this is what I'm writing to clients about. What happens to the snack food business? What happens to the alcohol? They're looking at it maybe as a cure for alcoholism. What happens to the alcohol business? I mean, you know, as a drinker, and I'm an excellent drinker, but then I'm, I, I, I like to have a, like one martini dirty with olives, if you ever need to know. And uh, I don't have another one. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's what I mean, what our company does, looking ahead, mm-hmm. taking it down the road and saying, how do we prepare for this? So um, I think we always think science is going to save us, science is going to save us. I don't think so. And I see this robotic future getting bigger and bigger. Artificial intelligence. I say take the artificial away and stop fooling yourself. It's intelligence. Mm-hmm. And it's getting bigger and bigger. So
0: so um, I do want to ask you one last question before I ask you where folks can contact you. Um, okay. But I'm, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast were probably fans of the show Succession. And there was a part where I was literally watching it and Kendall says something like, we've asked, so, you know, Harari, we've asked popcorn. They had this idea and this concept that they wanted to, and they mentioned you by name. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, she's such an icon. How did that feel? Like, did you know that was going to happen? Was it a surprise?
2: No, I didn't. I was watching it like, just like you and go, Oh wow. That's cool. I guess we're in the culture. That's when you become Culture, food, zeitgeist of the culture, and I, I was like really happy with that. I thought that is very cool, and I do love Succession. I'm so sorry. It's I hope they continue. It is so delicious. Yeah,
0: it's it's so sad it ended. I think we all kind of mourned uh, a lot of things in that last season. But um, but yeah, Faith, where can people find you? How can they get uh, you know access to the Popcorn Report? Like, and I know you also have a fantastic podcast that I've been a guest on. Um, yes. tell everyone where they can connect with you.
2: Oh, let's see. Um, fpopcorn at com is the most direct. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Of course, I'm on everything. Um, what are the other ones? Uh, Insta, all of them.
0: X, now it's called the X. F- I'm not using yes. X much, so I don't know. No, I not that much.
2: And um, sometimes I say be me up. So if you're thinking about something or I answer every single question and then, you know, come on to Jolti and listen to Jolte and that's on Apple, all of them, Spotify. I think I'm pretty available futurist because I love answering questions and I love teaching futurism. I'm developing a course um, for futurism and I'm updating the popcorn report, um, which is coming out soon and I'm working with um, a friend of mine Sarah Davanzo, on how you teach futurism so you don't teach futurism everybody is a futurist they have it inside of them you teach people how to apply it expose it pay attention to it but we are all futurists and we should really be you know more focused on that so just fpopcorn and faithpopcorn.com and I will answer you personally
0: well, Faith, thank you for being on Tech Magic. Pleasure,
2: thanks, Kathy.
0: All right, so that was a, a really interesting interview with Faith Popcorn. She's a, a brilliant icon and, and thinker. All right, Lee. So let's talk a little bit about um, you know now that we're wrapping up this episode. Let's talk a little bit about the idea you and I have been talking about. Um, you and I talked during our first episode about Prince. Mm-hmm. And how he was like a technology visionary. I mean, amazing artist, of course. That's what most people think about when they think of Prince. They think about his you know, creativity and music and, and everything. But he's, he was also like technologically really advanced and as if a futurist in some ways. Like in reality, not trained in strategic foresight, but thinking through the future of, of music and entertainment. And you and I were talking about maybe doing a whole episode dedicated to prince so just, just
1: one one big purple episode um I think that would be <laughs> fantastic uh we we know a couple of people who who've worked kind of in the field um uh, I've, I've come across a couple of people who have had the opportunity to in their careers work with prince um and by all accounts just a complete completely off the chart visionary when it comes to where technology was going but i am by no means an expert in it so mm-hmm. um we know a couple of people that could make a, a good episode and we could deep dive and ask ask some questions i've heard some prince lore some very interesting prince lore that i i'm i want to ask uh some experts about um and one of them has something to do with Oregon, and that's as far as I'm going to say.
0: Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very. Yeah, strange. I think I know what you're talking about, but <laughs> l- we'll get into it in a future episode when we do our Prince episode, our Purple episode. But yeah, I, I, for me, he's like a, a gaming visionary. Like he was doing gaming before it was like.
1: Oh yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. He had like uh, he was he was kind of doing a a mist style game, but um, like mm-hmm. right around the same time that like mist was coming out, which that was such a big hit. Uh yeah. I think it might have actually preceded it though. Um yeah. but I'm not the right person to ask. Don't, we'll yeah, find the let's right person. Yeah,
0: let's not spill the tea. Let's actually have our prince, you know, our prince experts <laughs> join us for that in a future episode. So keep your eyes out for that. Um Lee, thanks for joining me for episode two. anytime I hope People will like this um it yeah we're already getting feedback by the way we're getting feedback there's an email that you can send an email to at week you can also email uh podcast at kathyhackle.com h-a-c-k-l you can reach out to us on social i know several people have sent me messages saying i want to hear about this or i love the episode i love you guys talking about tech and and technology gaming kind of bringing it all together so lee thanks for joining me for the second episode thank you Awesome. So we'll be back next week. And we want to thank everyone for joining Tech Magic. Please subscribe. Leave us a review. We're really, really excited that this show is taking off in the way it is. And yeah, we'll see you next week for some Tech Magic.